Family gatherings at Thanksgiving are an incredible opportunity for us to talk about what God has done. You had a feastful, I'm sure, at some point or the other. Had a lot of people in, a lot of family to gather together. You had a table filled with food and a lot of laughter and memories. I know most of you know the story of Thanksgiving, but it began a long time ago, obviously. 1621, with only half the early settlers surviving, Governor Bradford declared a three-day feast set aside for prayer and celebration. During the Revolution, eight days of thanks were observed. In 1789, George Washington declared that it was the duty of the entire nation to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to be grateful for his blessings, and to unite in giving him our sincere and humble thanks. Obviously, it was Abe Lincoln who made it official in 1863, wanting us for sure to set aside one day a year for praise and thanksgiving to our Father. We as a nation have an incredible amount to be thankful for. We're one of the richest nations on the planet. While only having 6% of the world's total population, we're blessed with over half of the world's wealth. There's probably not a nation on earth that wouldn't want to trade places with us. We have so much to be thankful for. I know you do. I know I do. I saw an email this week said Craftsman Club. So much to be thankful for. And I thought Craftsman Tools. Seriously, I love Craftsman Tools. But I got a lot more than that to be thankful for. And I know you do as well. Thanksgiving, you know, is much more than a day on a calendar. For us as followers of Christ, as believers in Jesus, we're able to celebrate amazing grace, complete forgiveness, a great family, and an unbelievable future. We have undeserved redemption, constant care, overwhelming love, power over the enemy, a promise that God will never leave us or forsake us, and the confidence of eternal life. We of all people should be most thankful. We've been rescued, redeemed, and set free, and we have the privileges of becoming sons and daughters of the living God. That amazes me when you think about it. One of my favorite Old Testament stories, I'm sure in 19 and a half years I've shared at some point or the other, comes from the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's a story of Mephibosheth. Happens to be the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, the first king of the Israelites. Jonathan and David were best friends, made covenants to one another on a regular basis. Jonathan saved David's life, and David promised that he would always remember that. But at some point in a battle, Jonathan died, and Saul took his own life as well. That left the throne to one that was already anointed to be king, David. Now, as was customary in those days, a new king would kind of stake out his territory by exterminating the family of the previous king. David had no intentions of following that tradition, but the family of Saul didn't know that. So they hurried to escape. A special concern to them was a five-year-old little boy by the name of Mephibosheth, who upon the death of his father and other relatives could become an heir to the throne. If David's intent was on murdering Saul's heirs, this boy would be one of the first to go. So they get out of the area. In the rush of the moment, his nurse dropped him, ended up crippling both of his feet, damaging them permanently. For the rest of his life, he would be a cripple and known or identified as a cripple. For a number of years, he lived in a distant land in isolation and fear. Meanwhile, David's kingdom flourished. Under his leadership, Israel grew 10 times its original size. He knew no defeat on the battlefield. By the time you get to 2 Samuel chapter 9, Israel is at peace. 
It's almost it seems in one of those moments where when everything is at rest, David begins to reflect on his life. His story is incredible. A little shepherd boy next to the last in this long line of people chosen to be the king of Israel. If you know anything about his story, it's overwhelming. He had no aspirations for it, no desire. Matter of fact, when Samuel was choosing a king, his father David or Jesse paraded all of the sons in front of him and certainly thinking that Samuel would choose one of them. Matter of fact, he only brought 10. Said, no, it's not one of them. There's got to be one more. And Jesse said, well, there's a little shepherd boy out in the desert somewhere. And Samuel said, that's the one. I've often wondered how many times Jesse retold the story. I've often how many, wondered how many times David rehearsed the story. Looking back on his life, looking back on his journey and where he was and now where he is. In one of those moments, I believe, David begins to reflect on his life and his relationships, which hopefully you had the opportunity to do as well this weekend. What God has done for us, what God has given us, and the relationships that most of us in this room are able to enjoy are overwhelming. In one of those moments, I have to believe that David began to think about his relationship with his best friend, Jonathan, who was now gone. He remembered a promise that he had made to him. And in those moments of overwhelming gratitude, he begins to wonder. I hope during this week you had the opportunity in your life at some point or the other to think about how blessed you were by those that are around you and you shared with them how much you appreciated their investment in you and their belief in you and their love for you. In one of those moments, David turned to his servants and said, is there any of Saul's family still left? I want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. It wasn't a political maneuver. David wasn't seeking to be good or do good to be applauded by people. He wasn't doing something good so that someone would do something good for him. He was driven by one singular thought. Someone lifted me up. Someone befriended me. Someone showed me grace. And because of that grace, I want to extend it. And so he gives out the order. Is there anyone in Jonathan's family left? A servant by the name of Ziba comes up to him and said he still has a son. Still living. And then she identifies him as crippled in both feet. David's only response is, where is this son? This son. You wonder how long it's been since Mephibosheth was referred to as a son. All the previous references were about him being a cripple. Every mention of him so far is followed by his handicap. But David never mentions that. He just simply said, where is this son? Maybe you know what it's like to carry a stigma of some kind or the other. And every time your name is mentioned, your past somehow follows you. Statements like, have you heard about Mary and John? They're divorced, you know. Got a letter from Jerry. Remember him, alcoholic? Sharon's in town. What a shame she has to raise those kids alone. Saw Cindy today. I sure can't figure out why she can't keep a job. For some people, their past follows them wherever they go. I'm sure at some point or the other, they wondered, is anybody ever going to see me for who I am and who I can become and not for what I did? There is. He's our king.
And he sees you not because of your past, your pain, or your problem. He sees you for who you are and what you can become. And he offers us the opportunity to share in his amazing glory. And he calls us his children. David's messengers journeyed to where Mephibosheth lived, carried him into a chariot, and escorted him to the palace. He was taken before the king, and when he came in, he bowed down on his face on the floor and said, I am your servant, in verse 6 of chapter 9. His fear was understandable. He probably had been told along the way that David wanted to extend kindness. He maybe even had some assurances that David was going to do the best by him, but he really wasn't sure. I find it fascinating that David's first words to him were, don't be afraid. By the way, our King Jesus does the same. One of the most often repeated phrases from the lips of Jesus is, fear not. Command from heaven to not be afraid or to not fear appears in almost every book of the Bible. The Apostle Paul points to the cross as our guarantee of God's love for us and saying this, God shows his great love for us in this way, that Christ died for us even while we were still sinning and showed his love for us by sacrificing his son. Just as David kept his promise to Jonathan, so God keeps his promise to us. The name of Phibosheth means he who scatters shame, which is exactly what David intended to do for this young prince. No longer is he going to be reminded of his past or his deficiency. David was going to restore his rightful place, and he returned to him all of his lands, all of his crops, and all the servants. And then he insisted that he eat at the king's table. I want to give you back all the land that your grandfather saw, and I want you to always eat at my table. So Mephibosheth, the story ends, ate at David's table as if he were one of the king's sons. Think he understood grace? Absolutely. There's another question that obviously comes out of that, and that is, do you see our story in his? Children of royalty, incredible promise, crippled by the fall, permanently marred by sin, living ordinary lives only to be remembered by the king of the universe. Driven not by our beauty, but by his promise. And he calls us to himself and invites us to take a permanent place at his table. Though we often limp more than we walk, we take our place right next to other sinners made saints and we share in God's glory. Let me just share a partial list of what awaits you at the table. We're beyond condemnation. We're delivered from the law. We're able to draw near to God Almighty. We're delivered from the power of evil. We're members of his kingdom. We're justified by faith. We're adopted into his family. We have access to God at any moment. We're part of his priesthood. We're never abandoned. We have an unbelievable inheritance. Something he said no mind can conceive, no eye has ever seen what I have in store for you someday. We're no longer called servants, but we're called friends. And we have the privilege of being adopted into his family called sons and daughters of the king of the universe. We're members of his body, branches in his vine, stones in his building, brides for the bridegroom, dwelling in the dwelling place of the spirit of God. We possess, get this, every spiritual blessing possible, Ephesians tells us. This gift offered to the lowliest sinners on earth, who could make such an offer but God? 
From him, John tells us, we have all received one gift upon another. Everything we need, he tells us in Peter, for life and godliness is available to us. Adopted into his family, and not just left on the outskirts, but invited to his table and called sons and daughters of the living God. I know you know this, but God at this point in our lives has not allowed either one of my daughters to have any children of their own. So all three of our grandchildren are adopted. As I began to think about that through these last couple of years, I was overwhelmed by the fact that God did the same thing for me. And now we have the opportunity as a family to celebrate that and what he has done in our family. And I don't even see the diversity or the differences in them at all. I see them as my grandsons. As a matter of fact, when I watch them in certain behavioral patterns, I will look at them and say, you are just like your mom. You are just like your grand... Oh, that's right. There's no blood that goes through. But they're family. They're my children. And I'd die for them. I love that fact that God adopted us into his family. As far away from him as we could have been. And you know your own story. How far away from God you may have been at some point or the other. Could care less about godliness or holiness or righteousness. Only dealing with life in the moment. And living it to the fullest. To all of a sudden in one day in God's amazing grace he grabbed hold of you. And allowed you to recognize how much you need him. Maybe you're the opposite of that. Maybe you were so far down you had no place else to turn. Your life was such a mess you couldn't believe that anybody could ever love you. And then all of a sudden not only to be loved and accepted and adopted. But to be loved and accepted and Adopted into the family of the king of the universe is incredible. And so when you think about how grateful you are or thankful you are, it's easy for you. Because you know what you were and you know what God did. And you know what you are now. When he invites you to his table, you come up as fast as you can. And you stay as long as you want. And he calls you his son and he calls you his daughter. Not just of someone out there somewhere, but a daughter and a son of the king of the universe. Not just any king or an ordinary king or even a great king, but the king of the universe calls you and I his family. Sons and daughters of the living God. And he invites us to a banquet table. Not one filled with food, but a table filled with love and grace. Freely offered to anybody who wants it. Once every few weeks, we celebrate communion here at Community Alliance Church. Every tradition in our own personal lives or our journey in salvation is probably different. For some of you, maybe celebrated it once a week or once a month or at a specific time or every few months. But here we celebrate it every so often. No particular rhyme or reason. There's no commandment in Scripture as to when to do it. But every time he does tell us to do it, he says, remember me. And so we do. I love the fact that he remembered you. And he remembered me. Even while he was dying on a cross, I've often envisioned in my mind that he looked down through time and space and saw us in our need, invited us into his family, and called us his children. 
There's only one requirement here at Community Alliance to take a communion, and that is that you know Christ is your Savior. Not just that you know there's a God out there somewhere, or a God that you know about, or you've read about, or a God that you'll sing about over the next few weeks in Christmas celebrations, but you know the God of Scripture. And that at some point in your journey, you recognize you were a sinner in need of a Savior, and you invited Christ into your life. It may have been at a high moment of your life or the lowest moment of your life, but you remember when you did. You remember what it was like when you committed your life to Jesus and you remember turning your life over to him. And so when you come to this table, you celebrate that moment and you remember what it was like. And you're so delighted now that you can participate with friends and family who are all part of the family of God. Now, if you don't know when you did that or you don't know that you've done that, you can do it today. Right where you're at, admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior and I'll be as honest as I know how, you're all sinners, I'm a sinner, falling way short of the grace of God. And there's only one Savior, one way to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm going to celebrate that over the next few weeks in our Christmas celebrations to be reminded again that the God of the universe loved us so much, he sent his one and only son so that we could have life and have it forever. And today, right now, you can accept him as your Savior And know that this Christmas will be the greatest you've ever spent in your life. And when next Thanksgiving rolls around, (laughs) you will be more thankful than almost anyone sitting at the table. Because you'll remember a decision that you made at Thanksgiving 2014 that changed your life. Here we serve it and wait till everyone is served and then we share it together. Brad and the team are going to play some soft music behind it. It just gives us an opportunity to talk to God. Sometimes in a rush and the busyness of the weekend, it's a, a great time just to be able to be still and quiet and silent and spend some time with Jesus, sharing with him what you love and letting him share with you how much he loves you. Now, you'll notice in these trays, if you're visiting us today, that the cup and the bread are in one tray. It's an opportunity for you to help the person beside you and kind of serve one another and then continue to pass it down until everyone is served and then I'll come back up and Remind us of the verses out of Corinthians, and then we'll share together, and then we'll sing. We have so much to be thankful for. You've been invited to a banquet table filled with love and grace and more words than I can ever share. And you're called sons and daughters of the king. Enjoy it. That he heard from others. The Lord Jesus, the very night who was betrayed, gathered with his closest friends and shared a meal. At some point in that meal, he took bread and passed it around and said, take, eat all of it. This represents my body, which will be given for you. It's the one place out of all the places in the world that will tell you there's life, that you really will find life and eternal life. After supper, he took a cup and passed it around and said, this is a new covenant now, bought and paid for, not by the blood of animals or sacrifices but by the blood of the son of god he said every time you do that you take these elements and you share them remember me and so we do because he remembered us paul said look inside make sure everything is okay make sure the channel between you and god is clean and clear and then share and so today we do we celebrate his goodness and his grace and the fact those of us outside the kingdom can invite him into our life understand fully what God's love is really like and be called his sons and daughters. Share it together.